Well, good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Niall, and for the time being, I'm the worship pastor here at Christchurch. So I look after the musical worship that happens and put together all of our media stuff. Um, I say for the time being because in about three months, I'm leaving to go and train for ordination. Um, and Adrian has entrusted me this morning with kick-starting our series, God's Rebuilding. And uh, as he said, we're looking at Haggai and Nehemiah as we begin to imagine and work towards post-COVID life and what it means to be God's people in the light of the past year. We're beginning in Haggai before moving on to Nehemiah next week. So um, a very quick history um, Haggai is thought to have been written in about the 6th century BCE, that's the, the 500s, um, with Nehemiah being written in the 4th century, uh, the 5th century, sorry, uh, which is the 400s. There we go. Uh, both books take place in Jerusalem after uh, the return from exile in Babylon. Uh, Haggai is considered to be one of the 12 minor prophets. Um, I think that's just because the books are a bit shorter um, rather than he's less important. Um, and Nehemiah is the last of the historical narratives. And Haggai is a great place to start uh, because it is about priorities. So as we look to rebuilding, um, and specifically this morning we're looking at returning to worship, um, it's a great chance for us to examine our own priorities, to ask ourselves questions like, are we doing something because that's just the way it's always been done? Are we doing it because it's what we want? Maybe we miss how things were. Are we doing something because it makes us feel comfortable and safe, but isn't actually what God is calling us to? This, this season is an opportunity to reset, an opportunity to reflect on what was, um, and what is and what could be. We don't need to scrap everything and start again, but we do need to consider what we had before and whether it needs to be a part of what we take forward. So again, as we begin, my favorite definition for worship comes from Eugene Peterson, who you might know as the guy who uh, wrote the Message Bible, or translated the Message Bible. Um, and he says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So as we look to what God is rebuilding, we should be asking ourselves, are we thinking too much about our own needs above what God is saying? In what areas of our lives are we preoccupied with ourselves and missing out on God's presence? Ultimately, Haggai is concerned about the presence and dwelling place of God with his people. So let's dive in. Now, quick story. When I was younger, um, before uh, my family moved to Woking, uh, I was given a massive Lego set one Christmas. It was uh, the Lego pirate ship, um, and it was wonderful. It took my dad and I all of Boxing Day to build it. It was big, I loved it, um, but no matter how much we packaged it up uh, when we moved to Woking, uh, it took some blows and ended up with pieces littering the bottom of the box. Now, uh, I'm sure all the parents who have bought their children Lego kits uh, will know this, um, but even though it was in one box, when we took it out of that box and the box was sealed, 
there were pieces missing. Lego pieces will mysteriously go missing no matter where you put them. And we also didn't have the instructions anymore. We didn't have the, the, the manual to put it back together. So I was left with a broken pirate ship, missing pieces, and no instructions. And you can probably guess that it remained in its box in the back of a cupboard for quite some time. Haggai seems to have been part of the group of exiles who returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel uh, after a decree from the Persian emperor in about 538 BCE. They came back, they built an altar, and then they started building their own houses. Some 18 years later, Haggai appears on the scene, telling the people that they've got their priorities wrong. In verse 4, it says, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? So we see there's an issue here. We see that God is trying to say to his people that they've got everything the wrong way round. They've got their priorities mixed up. They'd put their own comfort ahead of obeying the Lord. They may have thought that God was their priority. They'd built him an altar after all. They were making sacrifices to him. But God, through Haggai, is telling them that they've got it wrong. Another prophet, Hosea, tells us that God desires his people to know him rather than offer burnt sacrifices. So in this moment, as we begin to return to church buildings and look forward to the return of things like sung worship, are we hearing the voice of God tell us that he doesn't want our worship to be tokenistic? He doesn't want us to think that because we're back in the building and eventually we'll be able to sing songs together again, that everything is okay and we can actually just go back to worrying about our own comfort. We've ticked the box. One commentator says, this was the problem. They had their goods, but the good life eluded them. They were not hungry, but neither were they satisfied. They were dressed, but they were not comfortable. And we, as God's people, need to be careful not to make the same mistake. And it can be really hard in our modern world. We're surrounded by adverts telling us that we just need to spend more money and accumulate more stuff to be happy. And we live in a society that actually asks whether faith has any bearing on the quality of life that we live. Society tells us that we can get the good life despite what we believe. It doesn't matter if you're uh, Christian, Muslim, atheist, Buddhist. You can believe whatever you want and still have a good life. And when we start to believe this, we actually buy into tokenistic Christianity. We go to church on a Sunday, but we invest our time and our money into our own comfort, something that can actually never fill the emptiness and longing inside. So why is it important that God, through Haggai, is telling them to rebuild the temple? Why should we care about rebuilding the temple? Because a refusal to rebuild the temple is a rejection of God's grace. The refusal to build the temple is a rejection of the indwelling of God that defined Israel as a community, that defined Israel as the people of God. So a refusal to give God our whole lives as worship is a rejection of his grace 
and a re rejection of that which marks us out as his people. I'm going to say that again. A refusal to give God our whole lives as worship is a rejection of his grace and rejection of that which marks us out as his people. God's house was the outward form of his real presence among his people. To refuse to build that house was at best saying that it did not matter whether the Lord was present with them. At worst, it was presuming on his grace that he would live with them even though they willfully refused to fulfill the conditions of his indwelling. It amounted to seeking grace, but refusing the means of grace. Not to build the house was not to want God as and for himself. When we leave God's house unbuilt, it's just another way of saying, it doesn't matter whether God is with us. When we get the living conditions right, it's verse four if you've still got your Bibles open, the economy right in verse six, if we develop a decent standard of living and negotiate proper wages, then we'll have time for religion and for God. After we've got everything else sorted out, then when all our ducks are in a row, we can turn to God. But when we live like this, we miss out on walking with God, trusting him in every step, depending on him every day. Let's put it in slightly different terms. As we return to Sunday gatherings, do we unconsciously wait until the music is better before we invite our friends to church? Do we commit to being better disciples when the Sunday sermon feeds us more? Do we commit to loving our neighbors more when we've had a more healing experience of God, when we feel more whole? Do we commit to spending more time seeking God's presence every day when we've been inspired to do so on a Sunday? As we return to worship, it's important to remember that it's not about getting Sundays right before we can do anything else. Sundays are great and corporate worship is vital, but it's one day in seven and doesn't actually let us off the hook of living lives of discipleship and worship for the other six days in the week. Plus, Sunday services aren't the only day or way to gather. If we focus too much on Sundays, we miss out on what God is doing in the rest of our lives. If you flip it round, if the exiles, when they'd got back to Jerusalem, had spent all their time and money on the temple, they wouldn't have had anywhere else to live. They wouldn't have had food to eat, and they wouldn't have been able to take care of each other in community. So as we rebuild the house, we have to remember that it's not the size or the magnificence of the house that matters, but the existence of it. It's the sign that we want God to dwell with us. We want to give our best to God, absolutely. But returning to worship isn't about the place, the style, or the standard. It's about recognizing and accepting the presence of God among us every single day. As we regather corporately here in the church building, we have to remember that it's not about us. It's about God with us. 
The New Testament tells us that we are now the temple, individually and corporately. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? Ephesians 2.19-22, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So in order to to be built into this temple, into God's dwelling place, We need places and spaces to gather together as a worshipping community. So it might be Sundays here in the church building. It might be pastorates. It might be prayer triplets. Anywhere that two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I will be there with them. So in order to return to worship, we need to refocus on God, prioritize him, accept his offer of grace, and be his dwelling place. So how do we go about doing it? Thankfully, verses 12 to 15 of Haggai 1 offer us three points to take away, which is every preacher's dream. If we want to be renewed and revitalized through our return to worship, the points and the sequence are incredibly important. Firstly, we need to respond to the word. We need to hear and obey. We have to pay attention to what God is saying and act on it. We can't just get on with business as usual. If we return to a lifestyle of worship that prioritizes God, God must be present in the calm as well as the storm. When God calls for us to prioritize him, he doesn't mean that we're to put him at the top of our to-do list, just another checkbox. He needs to be the center and source of all that we do. God is explicitly telling the returning exiles that stuff isn't the source of their happiness. Their clothing, their houses, their money, that can't make them happy. Only God can do that. And responding to the word will be costly. When people came back from exile, maybe they wanted what they once had. Or maybe what they didn't have in exile. They wanted nice houses They wanted material goods. They wanted to be well-fed. However, when we rebuild, some things may never be recoverable. This is why recognizing God as the source is vital. When we ignore God's word, or we hear it and don't respond, we reject God. We say that our comfort, our stuff is more important than God. We prioritize ourselves over God. So we need to daily respond to his word. We need to read, hear, and pray. Secondly, we need to allow ourselves to be encouraged by the word. When we immerse ourselves in the word of God, we discover that God encourages us. The overarching story of scripture is God saying, I am with you. We see it throughout the Old Testament. God is with his people when they respond to his word and obey him. 
Jesus' incarnation, his coming to earth, becoming human, is the ultimate act of God with us. And after Jesus' death, he's the one that initiates going to the disciples. He meets them in the room. He meets them on the Emmaus Road. They don't go to him. He comes to them. And through Jesus, we have access to God whenever and wherever we worship. We interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. God is here in the world. He has not abandoned his creation. But do we recognize that? Do we allow him to dwell in our lives? And when we know that God is with us, we can have confidence in his promises. We can walk with him more closely. We can actually hear more of his word as he speaks to us and we can be transformed into his likeness. And that's only possible through the third point, which is renewal in our spirits by the spirit, which mobilizes us for further obedience and energizes us for the work that we have to do. In the passage, it's an inner work of the spirit that transforms the exiles, that prompts them and pushes them and enables them to do the work of rebuilding the temple. For us, it's the Spirit of God in us that transforms our spirits, renews our hearts, our minds, so that we can do the work of God that he has set before us. It's through the Spirit of God that we're able to do kingdom work even when it's something that seems unspiritual, like building a house. So when I finally got round to it, after much emailing on my parents' part, I'm pretty sure, uh, I had a printout of the instructions to rebuild my pirate ship. And thankfully, I had plenty of spare Lego to replace the parts that I couldn't find. And so my ship was rebuilt. But it didn't look the same. Some parts were, uh, that were meant to be brown, the wooden parts of the ship, were red or green or blue. But it was rebuilt, and it took pride of place in my bedroom once more. And it's the same as we return to worship. Once we turn back to the manual, once we turn back to the one who provides the instructions, once we hear the word of our Lord, once we respond and are encouraged by him and we're re-energized and changed by the Spirit of God, worship may not look like it did before. Perhaps you'll have a renewed appreciation for communion. Maybe you'll enjoy times of silence more. Perhaps songs will resonate in a new way. Perhaps worship will look like seeing God in the ordinary every day. And maybe you'll be more aware of God's presence with you. All I know is that returning to worship is a commitment. It's a commitment to building relationships with people. It's committing to getting involved, whether on a Sunday or during the week. It's a commitment to being more aware of God's presence every single day. Committing to being God's kingdom people. We're called to build the kingdom and we do this by hearing the word of our God, being encouraged by him, and being energized by the Spirit. Let me pray.
Father God, we thank you that you promise so much to us. We thank you that you are a good God who loves us, who reaches out to us, who desires to be with us. We thank you that through worship, we can turn our minds back to you. We can reprioritize and refocus on you. We thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift of the arts. And we thank you for every single way that we can turn back to you. We pray now that as we listen to this next song, that we would know your presence with us and that we would be energized as your people together here and online to be your people every single day and that we would be transformed by your spirit into the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.